Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast Rooster Road Trip Recap Day Number One. Joe Dugan's already smiling. Uh, Joe Dugan, our featured guest, and uh, Andrew Vavra, back by popular demand. Well, I don't know if it's popular yeah, demand. It's, but I'm just riding shotgun, <laughs> so you're stuck with me either way. You're 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 back as the Rooster Road Trip co-host. Uh, we are we are on Rooster Road Trip, very earliest it's ever been, Minnesota only, the uh, responsible recreation edition, and we are going to recap one of the more exciting starts to a Rooster Road Trip that I can ever recall now you've been on a few more than i have but it was fast and furious out of the gates this morning yeah historically it it always seems like it takes us a a day or two just to figure things out and then we get into a groove and that's when the birds start to appear as well um but today was the exact opposite i I know in our our rooster road trip preview podcast uh you know we were worried about the heat at least i wasn't but some of you were alluding Mm. to the to that fact um, and it was a little warm today, uh, but overall, we had a beautiful, gorgeous day, not a cloud in the sky, which I'm sure drove our videographer and photographer <laughs> nuts because all the photos are blown out. Um, but the action started fast and furious. Yeah. Um, we were in the Jackson County, Minnesota today. We, we didn't reveal that uh, in the preview episode. We're going to make you kind of listen to some of these and figure out, see if you could figure out where we are. And generally speaking, we are very anti-hot spotting. Uh, we, we know that we, this is viewed and listened to by a lot of people all throughout the country. And the last thing we want to do is see uh, a property get absolutely demolished by everyone suddenly showing up the weekend after we leave. Uh, that said, if people are, are thinking critically and listening to who we're talking to um, <laughs> and the topic that will uh, end up being most of this podcast, you should be able to probably figure out the general area in which we were hunting. <laughs> Because <laughs> um, <laughs> we are with Joe Dugan, <laughs> and there might be a property named after him, um, but we'll get to that a little later. Um, so when, when it comes to the hunt itself, we were ready to go right at Nine Bells, which is great for, again, the first day as everyone's figuring out their equipment and figuring out what side of the truck am I going to leave my gun on, and my vest isn't ready yet, and I have to get my sound gears dialed in. It's just a little bit slower and clunkier. Um, but we were in the field right on time and I had a bird in the bag within 15 minutes. See, that, <laughs> you, you've raced to the punchline. You, you, uh, you've been too kind to me cause you, you completely left out the fact that I left my shotgun at the hotel. Well, generally, <laughs> generally speaking, it's not good practice to call out your boss. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we'll back up, uh, it, for folks that have hunted the Minnesota opener this weekend, what did they, you know, obviously people found birds because it's, it's all over Instagram, Facebook. People found a pretty good opener in Minnesota this year, but it was dry, right? Dry. It was, it was warm. It reached into the eighties on Sunday and it was really dry and it made it tough on the dogs. Well, we had a really fortuitous change in the weather last night and a massive thunderstorm oh, came yeah. through. And we all were wearing our, our Gore-Tex this morning when we went out into the field because it was wet. But that did, I think, play as a really big advantage for the dogs the first, you know, the first walk. And, you know, 
just to reiterate, I did forget my shotgun. <laughs> and, but and, you made it back before nine. Yeah, because we, 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 we did recognize that it was uh, a, a federal holiday today, and we expected that public land was going to be pretty pressured. So we were up and at them pretty early, so early, in fact, that I had a time to turn around, <laughs> drive back to the hotel, get my shotgun. Like, it, there's got to be other people out there listening that, Joe, have you ever forgotten your shotgun on a hunt? I would never have done that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> have you, Andrew? Not the shotgun, not the dog. Those are the two important things. Yeah, I've, not, I've never forgotten my dogs, but this is... Um, in full honesty, the second time I forgot a shotgun on a hunt before, but, um, thankfully we had enough time to go back. I had enough time, go back and get it. And, uh, as you say, you know, we went into the field and there was action fast and furious and the, the dogs were pretty much birdie right out of the gates. Yeah. We had a lot of things working in our favor. Uh, as you alluded to the moisture levels definitely helped out. And the fact that the corn right across the street mm-hmm. just got ripped out. True. Um, so we walked West straight into the wind with cut corn to our right. Beautiful, beautiful grass you now for the dogs to work. And the action was fast and furious. I think we, we had what three birds down within 45 minutes, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Coming from yeah. a, a guy who has to admit he did not shoot a rooster in the state of Minnesota last year <laughs> for a variety of reasons. <laughs> yeah. um, I not for lack of trying, but for a variety of reasons. Mm. Um, so to to see not only the roosters but also the the hen flushes that we were seeing, it was such a great great kind of. Um, juxtaposition juxtaposition to what my gear was last year. Mm-hmm. So today was my Minnesota opener, and it could not have started off any better for me. And I, I was surprised at how many young, like really young birds I saw. Um, so Joe, bringing you into the conversation for folks that uh, um, may not know you, you were a longtime Pheasants Forever employee. Uh, we'll we'll talk. Um, kind of your career highlights and your background. But uh, when you retired in 2015, you were vice president of corporate partnerships, but you did well beyond that. And we'll we'll dive into that. But I want to bring you into the conversation for a recap of the hunt. So you were in the field with your bird dog named Jumper. (laughs) And I'm I'm a bird dog name aficionado, as you know. Uh, kind of a collector. How did you name your dog Jumper? Well, uh, a lot of folks don't know, but in a prior life, I commercial salmon fish in Alaska. And when you're uh, trying to catch salmon, you look for schools of fish. And one way you identify them is you see them by sight, and mm-hmm. they, they will jump, mm-hmm. and they will splash on the surface. So when we were, it was, it was a community discussion between myself my wife and my two children and we were talking about various names and the name jack came up and jump and jack flash <laughs> and you know so you start thinking <laughs> all these things so my son goes what about jumper and that means a lot to my family my kids came to alaska many many years mm. they were on the, the boat a number of times each of them during the commercial season, they came out on a number of trips, and they learned to know what a jumper was. Hmm. And that jumper has got a very special meaning to our family, and it 
ring and it's now jumper sometimes <laughs> called jump and sometimes called a lot of other things so jumper got on a bird pretty early too yeah did you get that bird no <laughs> <laughs> no he got a well, he, he got on a number of birds there was yeah. we moved a fair number of birds that was fun to see were you surprised at uh, the the number of young young birds i mean I, I believe that we saw birds that weren't even close to coloring out today some that looked like it, it was hard to tell size of, of hungarian partridge some yeah. of them today yeah. yeah there was some young birds yeah there there are a few awkward call outs where you kind of hear the hen. I think that's a hen. <laughs> and everyone's just staring at it as it flies away because it's too late anyways. It's like, I have, I have no idea. Yeah. What do you think made that particular spot special from a habitat perspective? Well, I think it's got all the ingredients that you want. I mean, there's a big wetland basin, which has got a lot of good winter cover. There's a... A lot of grassy nesting areas, and you know, right across the field is a big cornfield, and mm-hmm. so it's it's got a lot of edge cover. I mean, it it's well, got a lot of the ingredients that's going to hold birds, and, and that's what's really special about the whole area is it's it's got all the components to, and, and it's got enough size to hold birds, you know, and and it will. It's a great spot. Yeah, coming from like a Minnesotan's perspective, it has all the ingredients. Mm-hmm. It had the cut egg next to beautiful grass, which is a winner no matter where you are. Right. But it also had the wetland complex, like he said. It had the willows. It had the cattails. It seems like the property that's going to hold birds all year long, but in different spots, and you're going to have to play it completely different as the year progresses. Um, so it's it's a phenomenal little piece of country. And you could tell that it was um, relatively newly seeded, right? Because mm-hmm. there, was, there was a really – I mean, some – wildlife areas you go in and it's kind of overtaken with brome and you feel like you're in walking through a monoculture because you are Mm -hmm. and that this didn't have that feel at all it was it was receded or it had been seeded within i think the last three years yeah yeah i'd say about yeah two or three years ago i'm not really sure but yeah it's it's it was and it's a great stand of grass and it's got some rolling topography to it, so it's got some features for birds to tuck in you know, on the wind. On a either windy day from the north, or the east, or the west, or the south, they got cover, and mm-hmm. um, and it's got enough size to hold hold birds. And and a few ducks were out there too. There were and some a ducks couple and swans some, were on that. Yeah, some white tails. Yeah, we saw a deer. So the first property we walked, we did a great big loop, and that was a waterfall. Production, production area, area. yeah, right, yeah, and so I mean, so it's a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service property, right, yeah, and we got all three birds on the first swing as we were going into the wind, right, or did we get? I'm trying to think. It did you get your no, your second right. one before we swung? Yep. Okay. Yep, because that's uh, that right. was that was. Right off Baxter's nose. Right. Uh, he just ran right into it. Yeah. Um, we'll work on that later. But <laughs> I was I was absolutely thrilled to see him just bump up a bird, and it happened to be a rooster, and I dropped it, and he ran right up to it, and then he pointed it, and yep. it's like, you know what? 
I'll take that. You know, we did things kind of in reverse order there, but no, that that made me so. And happy. it was it was all kind of a <clears throat> pinch together because we had to have cornfield up on the right, right, and then there was a wetland down, and then a road border, and you could tell like that. And f- hardcore pheasant hunters are used to this, right? When you're starting pushing, pushing towards the end then stuff starts happening. And that's what really was fun about that. I mean, what it take us 20 minutes to get to that pinch point. And there was a flurry of activity by, well, we, you know, nine to nine 20, the final five minutes, it was boom, boom, boom. And a couple of misses in there too. (laughs) There were a few misses from the left-hand side of the group. Um, I believe that was you. Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> I did. I I had only passing shots today. I I uh, I didn't get the the point that I wanted early on, but that's all right. That's all right. I didn't. I miss. I missed one that was tough, and I missed one that I shouldn't have. We we've got four we've more days. There. Yeah. Um. So then we we um we we went around the wetland, and. <laughs> <laughs> and probably the highlight of the day. Did, Joe, do you know what the highlight of the day was? <laughs> getting those birds. Well, getting the birds. And so there were a lot of highlights, but so it, <clears throat> we're we're on a we're on a property, and we've we've alluded to this prop to this, but we're on a property named in your honor, right? Which yes. uh, for folks listening, that's an anomaly. Right. I mean, the fact that most of the time a property that's named in honor of somebody, uh, the person happens to have passed away. Right. And you are very clearly alive and well. Thankfully, you're in great health. You hunted with us all all day today. And <laughs> but, but the about 45 minutes in and this is just a gorgeous, gorgeous property. And we on get up. Hill, we get up to a hill on a hill. Beautiful overlook. Bag uh, roosters in our bag already, and, and, and as hardcore fans of Rooster Road Trip know that we don't really care about limits. We're not out to fill the game bag. We just want to prove that you know they're public land, quality habitat, and you can find success. So everybody's feeling pretty good, including you. Well, yeah, you're you're smiling ear to ear, <laughs> and it's just a gorgeous morning. And we get up on this ridge, and you're looking out over this wetland, and you know you're you're, you're we're all kind of chatting, and you turn to me, and what did you say? Good spot to put your ashes. (laughs) 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 Which which, uh, struck me as a little bit morbid, (laughs) because. Clearly, are doing terrific, <laughs> but I mean, I could see how you would connect the dots, right? I mean, here's here's a property named in your honor, and you, you know, it, it's something that uh, I'm sure it's, we all think view, about. It's it's a view that you could consume for eternity, and every morning you'd come see the the, the sun come up out of the east. You'd watch it go around the lake, and you could see a nice sunset. So you could see the whole panorama of the landscape and the sky and a few animals flying back and forth. And as I mentioned to you, I just had gone through recently the placement and the selection of placing ashes. Yeah. And so um, for a, a sibling, so it was 
So it was in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I honestly not trying to make light of that. <laughs> right. Cause it, obviously I understand the gravity of the situation. What was incongruent for me is we were all kind of gathered and jovial and, you know, kind of, Oh, this is great. You know, <laughs> this is so, and you're kind of like, you're smiling. You're like, this would be a good place for ashes. to and like, whoa. <laughs> kind of caught me off guard. I, f- I figured it would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody disagreed with you, though. <laughs> no, it, it, is, um, it is a fitting um, piece of property that just, it, it, it does have beautiful uplands, gorgeous wetlands, and um, it's an incredible tribute. Yeah, to yeah. It's, it's a neat spot. And the, the, that, that bluff, um, uh, not a big bluff like you might see out in the mountains, but a, a big hill for this part of the country, mm-hmm. and it's a very picturesque scene and overlooking that lake. And and then that, the, the surrounding area there, it's, it's just a, it's a neat spot. It really is. Yeah, it's it's gorgeous. And, you know, we, we work our way back um, towards the trucks and in jump in the trucks and go to the second property, which also happens to be named Joe Dugan. But this one is a WMA Wildlife as opposed to a WPA. With his Minnesota DNR. We got to tell our story. They're pretty good guys too. And, and what's shocking, not shocking, but just a, a testament to kind of the career you've had, that the fact that the DNR and the Fish and Wildlife Service together named a piece of property connected to each other. Yeah, a Joe Dugan properties. WMA and a Joe Dugan WPA. That's pretty awesome. So we drive to the WMA side. <laughs> and Andrew had the hot hand today, didn't he? Yeah, he was in the right spot at the right time. He was also you were, you were also deadly today. Yeah. Um, well, so, they were easy shots. <laughs> I don't know. How many did you drop today, Joe? <laughs> I, didn't have, I didn't have any of those layups. No, um, so, I have to say I did miss one that I should have had, for sure. That happens to the best of us, even guys who have properties named after them. <laughs> <laughs> on the property that it's named after. Um, yeah, the, the second hunt started off almost as quickly as the first hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, I had what I would call a community flush. A rooster just happened to pop up in front of us, and it swung to my left and then behind me and uh, let the first shot go. Missed that one. My only miss of the day, but then mm. connected on the second. Um, and that was another great omen for another great walk. We kind of followed a draw uh, towards the east and north and uh, around a, a standing food plot that's on the private side of things. We kind of used that as a beacon to, to work through the, the grass. And uh, as we got to the backside, uh, we hit this big draw where the wetland complex is mm-hmm. that Joe referenced. And we had another eruption. It was one of those mini popcorn moments where it's like, hen, 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 hen. Yeah. Rooster! And then Logan missed. <laughs> <laughs> well, he had a, an excuse. And if, if folks have listened to the podcast, you know that I think really highly of Logan's ability to shoot photos and a shotgun at the same time. But it was, I think it was, was it his first shot of the day? It, it, I think it was. And and the issue there was, it wasn't even his camera. Because he's such right. a pro with having a camera right. and a gun at the same time. 
he forgot that he had his dog leash clipped to the little D-ring on his, his strap. And so when he went to, to shoulder his, his uh, shotgun, he clipped that. Right. And he just threw off everything. So he, he definitely gets a, gets a pass there. And luckily, he was able to make good pretty quickly after that as well. He, I, he's the best shot on our team, don't you think? I mean, in terms of the marketing communications team, I – I He's think, a ringer. Yeah, yep. Logan's Logan's a dead eye. Yep. And you throw the the camera into the mix, and you're like, "Geez, that guy is he is solid." Now his dad's a trap coach, so he's got an unfair advantage. Um, <laughs> I but get it. No wonder. <laughs> yeah. Now I get it. But he did make up for it with a really fine shot, and um, his his reliable yellow retriever or yellow Labrador. Sorry. It's kind of a fox red lab, right? It's definitely a good-looking brute. Yeah. 90 pounds, just nothing but muscle, and I think can hang with the big running dogs too. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, Aspen brought back that um, rooster to hand instantly. So Logan was on the board, and um, we swung through. And there were a couple more birds, but no roosters, I don't recall, until we uh, turned the corner, came up the ridge, and walked uh, the corn, corn edge again. And this is like midday. And for the most part, the birds were kind of loafing in the grass. I mean, we didn't, you know, I, folks were texting me like, you're hunting down there. You got to hunt the cattails. They're all dry. They're all in the cattails. We didn't, we didn't bust, well, very little cattail yeah. busting. You, you ended up walking through one patch. I walked through one patch, but it was pretty narrow. We were just walking from A to B. Um, for the most part, the birds were in the grass, and, and that's when we get up on a ridge, and Baxter had his first point. It Was uh, was it up there, too? Uh, you that, saw that one. I wasn't there. That's right. That. that was the second point, Baxter's yep. second point. And then a little bit later, my, my young one, Gitchy, got birdie. And she was birdie. It was evident <laughs> something was about to happen. Yeah, little my one year old Gitchy was all around this patch of um, grass and couldn't pin it, couldn't couldn't point it, but uh, something was going to happen. And Rooster got up, and of course, what happened, Joe? Andrew nailed that one too. <laughs> I had a good day. <laughs> <laughs> and for folks wondering, yes, it is legal to party hunt in the state of Minnesota. Um, so we were all together and um I felt bad about that one though because we hunt together enough and when you hunt in small groups in general you kind of know when his dog his yeah, shot yeah. but that was clearly I, your shot I mean it was I, it was too in front of me for me not to shoot oh, yeah. I, I couldn't just just let it go but the second it dropped I was like kind of pulled that one out from underneath them. yeah but <laughs> it, if I shot it would have been crossing in front of you if it, you know it from a safety perspective, you had the absolute right shot. And I was just thrilled. What what made that for me personally was Gitchy's not been – she'll play fetch with me all day long, but she's not really grabbing birds and bringing them to me. But Aspen was in the mix, and Gitchy jumped on that bird as like, this is mine, and started <laughs> running to me with the bird in her mouth. So that was a million-dollar um, sequence yep. for me. So that was that was phenomenal. Um and we walked that um, that field out, and you know, in in the course of just a few hours, we must have put up three dozen birds. Oh yeah, I don't know. I need to come up with the exact count though for for a little tracker. So I, I have check marks somewhere in my hotel room <laughs> that I have to add up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was it was a wonderful, wonderful 
start to to rooster road trip and we had a nice visit with um both the Jackson County chapter came out. Yeah, uh, Jeff Johnson, the president of the Jackson, Jackson County chapter, came out. And then a little bit later in the day, Nobles County. Yeah, know, a whole bunch of County, friends from yeah, you. Right next door. And and I learned, you know, I worked with you for better part of... Ten years? Oh, I think it's close to 15. And oh. I, knew, I knew all kinds 10 of... 10 or 15. <laughs> you know, the... All the Duganisms, all the all the sayings. I knew your nickname was Colonel, but I I learned of a new nickname today. Well, I didn't I didn't show it off, but the <laughs> I probably shouldn't say it, it'll jinx me for eternity. But uh, the Jackson boys used to call me the Rifleman. <laughs> well, that wasn't the one I, I was. Love how, I love how we walked <laughs> around it. Right, that, that was great. Right, the Rifleman. That what I heard was Doogie. Oh, <laughs> over, over and over. To, it, uh, it just made me uh, think about Doogie Howser, <laughs> which which has very few similarities to you. But Well, for me, it, it kind of reminded me of how long Joe's been down here mm. impacting these local communities with these volunteers and these chapter people. Yeah. Uh, you can just see the bond he has with them that that spans longer than I've been on this planet, I bet. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty incredible to, to hear the stories of, of him when he was a young pup, just, just making a go of it for PF down in this area. And um, that includes the beginning of PF. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a pretty special opportunity for me to be along, to, to hear some of the old stories and, and see the camaraderie and, and hunt a property with, with the guy it's named after. I don't think I'll ever have that opportunity again in my entire life until, well, next year when we do this again, right? What's it like to walk on a property, public land, that's named the Joe Dugan WMA or the Joe Dugan WPA? What, what's that feeling? You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a special honor for sure. Um, I'm very thankful, very appreciative. Um, and I, you know, I, it's, it, Anno just touched on it. I mean, I've been connected to a lot of folks in this part of the world for a long time, and I've worked with them, and and I work with a lot of people at the Minnesota DNR and the Fish and Wildlife Service and other agencies, and and it's, I, I don't know, it's kind of a culmination of a, a lot of relationships and meetings and you know, I, I think it represents also we were able to get a lot of good things done for wildlife, mm-hmm. and um, so it, it's it's you know I, I don't I, it, it's kind of hard to describe, Bob. I, I uh, it's almost like I feel a little embarrassed about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's uh, I very much appreciate it, and I'm very happy for it. But there's so many other people and. Folks that that are are part of all of these projects that that uh, um, you know that that all deserve to be part of it and 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 partly and I I tried to articulate that at the dedication last fall but um, uh, we call it the Joe Dugan Family Wildlife Area and and that's to try to encompass it was you know I I'm very thankful for my my poor wife putting up with a lot of road time and and then. Um, but it's, it's a bigger, it's, it's the family of people you work with mm-hmm. and, um, the, the PF family, but it's, it's bigger than that. It's, you know, it's the wildlife agency folks and, um, on the monument there, there's a list of organizations and people that are all 
part of financial contributions to help make it happen. So it, it's it, it's a it really is an honor, and, I, and I'm very appreciative of it. So I want to talk about you know Aaron, our new videographer who started recently right and you didn't you didn't work with them and no there's a lot of, of you know the podcast didn't even exist when when you worked you know you time moves on right yes. and you've been retired for a few years now so there's probably a lot of folks that are like wow who's joe dugan who, who you know it's a, he's got a wma and a wpa like how how does you know what um what led to um that kind of an honor and you know, I debated, I, I can read your resume of all the amazing things that you've done. But before I talk about that, what, what jumps out to you as your crowning achievement personally? What, um, what do you think? When somebody says, you know, what your high point of your career, what was the first thing that comes to your mind? Well... <clears throat> I was fortunate enough to be able to work on a lot of different things. Um, when PF was young, um, we all kind of wore all the hats at all the same time simultaneously. So I got involved in fundraising. I got involved in PR, marketing. I got involved in government affairs. I got involved with, with advocacy. Um, and, I, and I have to say, one of the things that appealed to me about PF when I was just kind of getting involved um, one was the chapter model, how the money stays local, and um, I, I just liked the, the, how that resonated, and, and, and I think a lot of other people do, uh, and, and likes how it works. It, it, and and the, the, the final analysis, it's been an extremely successful model. Um, the other thing that I liked about PF was its willingness to step up to the plate on conservation issues. Mm -hmm. and. And get involved with policy and matters. Uh, there was a saying we had for many years, probably still lofted around once in a while, but, you know, with the stroke of a pen, we can affect more habitat, more acres, more dollars than we can through any number of hundreds of banquets. They all are part of the big package. you got to do them all. Um, but working on, on the Conservation Reserve Program, working on a lot of things like that have an immense impact on the landscape. Mm -hmm. And 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 I, I think probably the, the, the big thing for me was working on uh, the Minnesota Legacy Amendment and working on the right to hunt and fish, which a lot of people don't, that from Minnesota might know that, but outside of Minnesota for sure wouldn't. But it, it was two constitutional amendments, one passed in 1998, that was uh, a constitutional protection for hunting and fishing. And which was voted on by the public and passed by about 78, a little over 78 hmm. percent of the vote. And then 10 years later, we immediately after passing the, the right to hunt and fish, um, we started working on a, an idea to dedicate funding for fish and wildlife habitat. And um, it started, uh, that was introduced that the very next year as a constitutional amendment. Um, and then 2008, it finally passed, and over that 10-year period, it went from a habitat, strictly habitat-focused constitutional amendment for dedicated funding, but it included a big chunk for water, water quality, water improvement, 
and a big chunk for state parks mm-hmm. and trails and a big regional parks, a whole bunch of things. So, and it finally also included a big chunk for arts and cultural heritage and, and history. And that is now generating, you know, about, it's, it was an increase in sales tax that people had to vote on. Um, it was controversial getting it through the legislature. Uh, it finally got a lot of moment, momentum. There's a, a, a pile of people that got involved that made it happen. Um, some great legislative leadership, a lot of organizations, a lot of people that poured their heart and soul into it. And I was involved from day one in that past. And today, uh, I probably should have said <laughs> something, but I sat and stared at the sign there, and there's a big logo um, it's it's recognizing the, the legacy amendment, mm-hmm. and that legacy amendment is now <coughs> paying dividends um, already um, that are are not just lifetime dividends; they are forever dividends for for conservation, for wildlife habitat, for the critters, mm-hmm. and for people. There's a place, you know, uh, I'm fortunate to be to have named after me. But in large part, that was paid for by dollars from, at least a big chunk of it from legacy amendment dollars. But um, it's now holding water, preventing flooding just downstream. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of pieces to this picture, but I'll paint another one. Um, just downstream from where we were at the wildlife area today is Spirit Lake, Iowa, mm-hmm. and Lake Okoboji. And they're called the Great Lakes of Iowa. And they are phenomenal lakes, but... It's pretty intense ag around that, and those lakes are dependent on a clean water supply. Mm-hmm. And the water coming off that wildlife area filters a tremendous amount of water upstream from the wildlife area, and it eventually goes into those lakes. So the people that live around those lakes, that enjoy those lakes, it, it literally is, uh, you know, it, it's a tourism mecca in northern Iowa. Mm-hmm. And and it's because of the quality of those those lakes and they they, so in part these wildlife areas that we work on are, are doing and and you know that's that's my root interest but I also understand and I also am very concerned about the bigger picture mm-hmm. and these wildlife areas that we worked on, the habitat projects, the conservation reserve, all those things, aren't just making pheasants. They're they're doing a lot of great things for our environment. Yeah. And and. We've got some big problems, and in Southwest Minnesota's got big problems with with flooding, with water quality, with uh, nitrates in the water, and um, so there's it all kind of fits together. And it it to me, you know, I look out there and I see all those stories because I I was fortunate enough to be able to work on some of them mm-hmm. and be involved in them, and um, uh, it it's uh, you know it's so it's it's got a lot of special meaning, and and you know so if I was to say a thing that was you know that was probably most monumental was the legacy amendment passage because of the significant amount of funding involved and the targeting of the funding it's Mm -hmm. not you know dispersed it's it's targeted to those four categories um but it it it's it's the whole i mean i look at it as as a whole story that the the legacy amendment was built on the right to hunt and fish and 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 other things before that, all these things, and and my involvement with pheasants forever, and my involvement with all these things was built on, you know, people that did work before us. Mm-hmm. So we owe a, a debt of gratitude to the people that have been involved in this kind of you know conservation matters. It, it's none of it happens you know by itself, and you know I have learned that you know being involved and pushing will make a big difference, but 
You'd never do it alone, and you're riding on the shoulders of people that came before you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's helping pass two constitutional amendments. <laughs> I mean, that's that that doesn't happen every day, no. you know, and but, you know, in 1998, that right to hunt and fish being in the constitutional amendment, 17 states have subsequently followed yep. that lead of Minnesota and now right. have a constitutional amendment. And you very clearly, you're not taking credit for the entirety of these. You know, you right. very clearly aren't. Um, but you played a role in well, that. We and started the ball rolling. It, yeah. Well, it, it, you played a role in, in that and you played a role in what what I'd categorize even bigger, the legacy amendment, which you talked about. And then you, you, you start adding up some of the other things like build a wildlife area was kind of a concept hatched with, uh, um, Rob Dries line, outdoor news, Chuck Delaney, game fair, Anoka County pheasants forever. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about that one. Well, um, well, folks that, get to know me know how excited I get about land acquisition for a lot of reasons and we've always schemed on how to raise funds to do so and always schemed on how to get more people involved and um, we uh, thought about doing a fundraising campaign to raise enough money to buy a public wildlife area in a short window of time and we wanted we we uh, understanding that having a time-sensitive goal and having a bunch of people involved it creates some inertia. Um, we approached the Outdoor News with this idea, um, and they said, yeah, they kind of like the idea. And then Game Fair, which is a huge event here in Minnesota, it goes, I think there's, I don't know, 40,000, 50,000 people mm-hmm. every year that go to that. And... We talked to those folks because we've worked with them on, on different things about let's doing some kind of marketing partnership public, you know, to publicize the idea. And our goal was to raise um, enough to buy a quarter section of land, which we figured was enough to call it a wildlife mm-hmm. area. And, and at that time, um, that this seems like eons ago, <laughs> but you know, land was a thousand, two thousand an acre. Mm-hmm. So we figured if we could raise a couple hundred thousand dollars, we'd be in the ballpark. And um, we we coined the name uh, Rob Dreesline from the Outdoor News. Myself were kind of kicking around. What about build a wildlife area? And, and it didn't have a lot of sex appeal, but it did make sense. And it it. We used that name, and in the first year, um, we did the old, like United Way, put out the thermometer, and every day we kept adding to it, and this was before Facebook and Instagram and all these other <laughs> cool things. Just barely. <laughs> barely. <laughs> barely. Because this is, this is 2005. That's about, yeah. Yeah. Because it was, so I started in. After you started, or a year or two. I started January 03, and I think um, we started having conversations about the concept um, in the winter of 04, and we kicked it off spring of 05. Yeah. And. um, Well, uh, actually, it was, we kind of kicked it off with, we started doing a little, some, 
the, yeah, the, the quiet kickoff, so to speak, was before game fair. But outdoor news and game fair was really when we got it going. But we, but we had some seed money. Remember Gander Mountain? Yep. We, we approached Gander Mountain, and they got involved. And it uh, so we, we, we kind of pitched it around. And fortunately, um, everybody thought it was a good idea. And then we just had to make it happen. And fortunately, we raised enough money. And... Uh, a year later, the Mud Lake Wildlife Area yep. by Little Falls was purchased, and um, we got more than 160 acres. I think it was about 300. Yeah, some it was acres. 331 maybe. Yeah, and and then what was so cool to me was uh, we kind of hit our, our financial goal, and we talked. We had already talked to the Minnesota DNR, and uh, we had some grant money from the Fish and Wildlife Service that we kind of earmarked so we could make the pitch for every dollar we raised, we were getting $3, and that was through other grants that we had. So we had a dollar match from Fish and Wildlife Service NACA program, and we had a dollar match from a grant we were getting from uh, actually the LCMR, Environmental Trust Fund. So, uh, and they both were challenge grants, so we had to raise money, and... Um, it just it, it worked perfectly, and that was the other objective of the Build a Wildlife Area initiative. Initially, was we wanted to try to achieve some kind of continuity. So this isn't just a one and done that we would do it every mm-hmm. year. And uh, subsequently, we did it every year, and it's still going strong. Well, and is and it's kind of morphed into even bigger things now. We, well, so point of distinction, but when it started, Pheasants Forever had already been in the land acquisition game we were we had um, acquired over 175,000 acres that were wmas wpas that chapters the organization had acquired and then or been part of turned over to state or federal agencies and become public wildlife areas what build a wildlife area did was rather than just through a grant process or a chapter process it engaged corporate partners and individual giving Um, and now you know how many states we're doing build a wildlife area in now? Well, when we're doing it in 50, I'll be happy. <laughs> well, we're getting there. <laughs> we're at seven and 13,000 acres so far. Wow. So it's it's um, another highlight that, um, you know, when you say build a wildlife area, I think Joe Dugan. The other thing uh, I think Joe Dugan is every February when National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic comes around, Another Joe Dugan brainchild was the um, annual event. Yeah. And that started. <laughs> the day that you start- started. Well, it was six days before I started. That uh, uh, I'm sorry, it was six days after I started. Because do you know this story, Eddie? I don't. That sounds like fire girl. <laughs> so I got hired on January 6th, uh, or I started on January 6th, 2003. <laughs> I come into Joe's office, and he's like, yeah, uh, we got this big event on the 12th. Um, can you see about buying some advertising and promoting it? <laughs> Do you remember this? <laughs> You're like, uh, sure. <laughs> so how'd Pheasant Fest come to be? Well, that was actually um, the, the original concept was to have an anniversary, 20th anniversary um event uh, to, to acknowledge and recognize and have some kind of celebration for the 20th anniversary mm-hmm. of Pheasants Forever's existence. And we had considered doing national conventions and national events and other organizations were doing them. Um, 
and for a lot of reasons chose not to. It's it's a big undertaking. It's a lot of expense, and um, uh, we were weren't sure you get the bang for the buck, and so it was for a lot of reasons we didn't do it. Um, but we decided to do this uh, 20th anniversary event, and without getting into all the detail, I ended up being in, in under my wing, <laughs> and <clears throat> we were thinking of you know a lot of things. Among other things, one was a name. And there's in Hedinger, uh, North Dakota, the Pheasants Forever chapter out there used to have a, an event every fall called Pheasant Fest. Mm. And they would invite um, uh, farmers in for a kind of a, uh, you know, it was a freebie, big meal celebration of pheasant hunting. And um, so I called the guys out there and said, hey, I, I, I really like that name. Do you mind if we use it? <laughs> so they said, yeah. And we, in a sense, have trademarked it, done all the other kind of good stuff. But, um, yeah, so that, that was the name, mm -hmm. and it resonates. Um, and the, the idea became, you know, it grew from just kind of an annual convention party. Uh, not Excuse me, a, a, it was a 20th anniversary convention and party. Um, but the first year, you know, we, we got booths, we did the whole nine yards, and uh, were really, uh, you know, mimicking in, in large part what others were doing. We, we uh, largely did it on our own. We, we did have some outside help. Um, we hired a guy to help with booth sales and some, some orchestration. But what happened was we got crushed there was, we, we had it at the Radisson South Hotel in Bloomington, and it's now called, I believe it's Doubletree. Hmm. And, um, but it, it was their biggest weekend for food, for booze, for all kinds of things that they'd like ever had. Mm -hmm. And we sold more memberships, we sold more life memberships, we sold, it was just a, a tremendous success. And the, and, and which was great, mm -hmm. <laughs> and we even made a little bit of money. <laughs> it, it, we were budgeting, kind of hoping to make break even. Um, then everybody thought, well, not everybody, but some thought, geez, <laughs> we should do this again. This was so successful. <laughs> so, do you our, see Andrew staring you down right now? Every year, so. Um, well, no, it was going to be on a two-year basis because, again, we we did hire some outside help, but uh, it was largely done by our minimal staff. But I, I should say minimal. We had everybody pitches in at various times over the course of time, and it became a, a organization-wide, you know, mm -hmm. engagement, and um, has grown, you know, from from those humble beginnings. But uh, the 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 next stop we chose was Omaha, Nebraska. And I'll tell you what, I was a nervous man that entire year. So we went down to, to Omaha and they had just built a new convention center. Mm -hmm. And it, we, I remember there was still, we were walking on gravel floors, taking a tour. This is gonna be a beautiful place, you know, a year from now when you guys are, yeah. a year and a half when you come here and <clears throat> They, they were very cooperative. They gave us a pretty good deal. Um, 
but it was a big nut to bite off, you mm-hmm. know, and, and it was also um, a lot of credibilities at stake. You know, can these guys pull off a successful mm-hmm. event and can you do it all? And again, the team rose to the occasion. Uh, you were quite involved in it. And I remember I was talking to a guy. Um, oh, who was it from uh, Minnesota Bound? Um, Ron? Sure. No, no, he came down, but uh, Bill Shirk. Bill, Bill was there the day it was starting, uh-huh. and he caught me somewhere on the show floor. the The show had not opened yet, you know, so the booths were all set up. So it was like literally uh-huh. half an hour from it opening or less. And he looked at me, and we were talking a little bit, and he says, "Joe, you look a little nervous." I said. And I said, well, I, you know, there's a lot riding on this. We hope it works out. And he kind of laughed. He said, Joe, you got to walk out into the hall. Yeah. So I walked out from the, where I was on the show floor out to the lobby into the line. And I remember opening the door and peeking out. And there was, I don't know, 500 people mm-hmm. or more. It was packed. Yeah. And the line coming in. So that was... A giant sigh of relief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fact that it was the Quest Center, um, and it was the very first event there. Their I mean, first big event, yeah. It, it was, that was advantageous because all the news stations came out today. Oh, who are these Pheasant guys holding this big event here? <laughs> and we had, the news coverage wrote itself for that yeah. particular event. Yeah. Everybody, not only, you know, pheasant hunting is part of the fabric of Nebraska's right. culture, which we had going for us, which is why we chose Omaha. Right. But the fact that the big event was creating news coverage was advantageous too. Um, I, I, I want to hit a couple more highlights. If people meet you, um, they know that you're a Minnesotan, but or people that know you know that you're a Minnesotan, but they, a lot of folks think you have a double residency in, in Montana. Because <laughs> you, you've been pretty active in some of the biggest land acquisitions in the state of Montana, too, right? Coffee Creek, yeah. uh, Wolf Creek. Yeah. Um, how did those come about? Well, I was I, I had another lucky gig during my term at, with Pheasants Forever. Um, uh, Jeff Finnan, who was CEO at the time, approached me with with a, a idea, a proposition. He said that. They're reshuffling some of the regional coverage for the, the regional reps, and uh, the way it's going to work out is um, Montana is going to be orphaned. Or <laughs> that's, that's my word. Do you believe this is how it happened? No. No. There's some going <laughs> yeah. On. He's like, we need somebody to cover Montana. I like hunting in Montana. So no, that's exactly <laughs> what happened. And um, he, and I said, you know, so here I am and you know, Minnesota, and I says, well, how do you propose to do, I do that? And he says, which was appealing to me you know, initially, <laughs> <laughs> but he says, well, go out there a couple times a year. I mean, we were just getting going out there and, you know, start some chapters and get some things going, and in a, you know, a year or two when we get a little more growth, we can put some people on and we'll reshuffle the deck a little bit and we'll have some coverage. Well, fortunately, they didn't shuffle the deck for a about four years <laughs> <laughs> so two or three times a year I would head out to Montana and um, worked with uh, chapters there and started several new chapters um, 
and got to, to work with a couple of things. And, and, and I'll, I'll have to say, you know, I brought out some of my Minnesota interests. That is, you know, the land acquisition component. And, and, I, and to tell you the truth, one of the things that I saw was um, the amount of support you get for projects that have permanence that people can really get into. They can, they're attached to it. They see, an, they see a product that is going to be there that's part of their chapter, part of their, what, what, of their efforts, and, and it leads, one leads to another. One mm-hmm. success will lead to the next success. And I, I, I saw it happen. I was part of it a, a, a few times here in Minnesota. And so when I was out there, I says, you know, I would ask the question, and not a lot had done, been done in that regard in Montana, although there was a couple of chapters or a couple of projects out in the Mission Valley north of Missoula. Um, but uh, um, the Central Montana chapter, uh, you know Craig Roberts and that whole crew, um, were kicking around the idea and um, we worked on it and they, they, as a chapter, agreed this is also a good idea and um, they started looking for property and uh, came across coffee. Actually, they passed on a, a couple that were close but didn't work out, and they bought this property, Coffee Creek, um, and PF National went on the hook with it, um, helped out with some, you know, backing initially, and uh, it went. It's it's become kind of a. Uh, I don't know, flagship type project. It's a destination for bird yeah. hunters. I mean, yeah. it, Rooster Road Trip has been there and, and, um, twice. yeah, it's, if, if folks listening, um, there are some epic, epic land acquisitions that are now open to everyone. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. are public. Uh, Coffee Creek's one of them. Wolf Creek's one of them. And they're both Teton in that River. Real, yeah. There's, there's, and there's a number out in the Mission Valley and there's a couple, um, that probably aren't as well known, but up in northeastern Montana around Malta, that Pheasants Forever was very involved in it, and um, I got involved in a couple of them just trying to help foster them along. Mm-hmm. Um, up by Bedouin National Wildlife Refuge, there's a, um, um, well, there's a, there's a couple parcels that probably total close to 1,000 acres. So we could talk for a long time about your career highlights. I want to hit one more. How did Pheasants Forever help the University of Minnesota create a football stadium? Oh, that was an interesting twist of things. Um, so uh, I'm trying to think. That was when was that? That's ten, twelve years ago. Yeah, in two thousand and eight ish. So <clears throat> there's a, a chunk of land south east of the metro area in Minnesota, the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, and it was uh, uh, formerly a military uh, defense arsenal um, during World War II. And the federal government, Department of Defense, um, uh, condemned tens of thousands of acres to create this big arsenal. Well, the war comes to an end, and the, the government has this big chunk of land, and what are they going to do with it? So um, they gave it to the University of Minnesota. And that was, you know, 
50, 60 years ago. Well, uh, the University of Minnesota has farmed some of it. They rented some of it out. Um, there was a couple big chunks of it that were kind of rolling hills and some big wetlands, um, some good wildlife areas in my book. And um, the there had been thoughts of developing it, turning into airports. There was a whole bunch of things that happened over the years. Well, um, the uh, University of Minnesota was trying to get funding for the state, the new Gopher football stadium. And it was kind of after the Twins built their stadium mm -hmm. and after Target Center was put up and people were kind of filled up with new stadiums and the bonding and the, f the, 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 the funding needed to come from the state was not forthcoming. And the University of Minnesota struggled for a number of years to try to raise the funds. Well, um, I was talking to a state legislator, Denny McNamara, who's now retired, but he's from that part of the state, around Hastings area. And he and I had had a number of conversations about that property that was owned by the University of Minnesota. Some of it really probably didn't lend itself to um, a wildlife area, but there's a big chunk of it, over 2,000 acres, that's this big rolling wetlands, hills, very picturesque, beautiful spot. Um, well, uh, we had talked a couple times, not a couple, a number of times, boy, it'd be nice to figure out how to do this. Hmm. You know, how could we ever do that? And there had been some acquisitions kind of on the periphery, and there's the Vermilion River that runs through it. Mm -hmm. Which is uh, a hell of a trout stream. Yeah, it's, it's one of the best trout streams near the metro area. And um, so one time... This was during, this was like maybe the third or fourth year that the uh, university was uh, trying to get funding package. And it was just a, a, literally a, a brainstorm. It was a, one of those, something goes off. But I was talking to Danny and he had brought up, you know, God, how are we going to, the, the Dakota County was looking at a chunk of land right next to that. And we were talking about how, that might be acquired and he was a chairman of the environment finance committee so actually wasn't at that time he later became chairman um but <clears throat> we were talking about you know we kind of switched to god how are we going to ever get that and and i th and i thought to myself what does the university of minnesota want the most and it just was a light bulb hmm. and i said denny i got it what and that's what i said to him what does the university of minnesota want the most right now and he goes, what do you mean? I said, they want money to build that stadium. They need to, to, you know, they need to get bonding dollars to build a stadium. I said, what if the University of Minnesota trades to the state of Minnesota that big chunk of that property to become for a wildlife area? Huh. And, and Denny goes, oh, I, that won't happen. He goes, <laughs> he goes, Joel, that's a good idea. Then huh. he said, that's really a good idea. And then he said, have you talked to anybody else about this? <laughs> <laughs> that did happen. Huh. And, I, and at the time, Governor Plenty was the governor. Um, we had worked with Bob Schroeder, who was either his chief of staff at the time. He became chief of staff. But he might have been deputy chief of staff at that point. But we uh, reached out to Bob Schroeder and um, another person who was chairman of the Environment Finance Committee, um, who also was from that part of the state, and um, 
two or three days later, I was in the governor's office explaining the idea, hmm. and they did it. Hmm. It's. It was just. It was the. I think everybody wanted to do it. You know, the, the, from the legislative side of things, a lot of the public, but no one had the political appetite to say, "Hey, we're going to build another stadium, and you guys are going to pay for it." You meaning the, the citizens mm-hmm. of the state and. There had been pulls and pushback, and people were tired of funding stadiums. Mm-hmm. And and but this was it. It gave the the uh, legislators, the governor, the people at the University of Minnesota, some uh, a, a rationale that all right, the university is going to give up something. Mm-hmm. And there's now this you know the it's called Vermilion Highlands, and it's a two thousand acre public wildlife area. You know. 25 minutes from downtown St. Paul. Hmm. Have you been, hunted that? I, I've not hunted it, but I've, I've walked, walked around it a yeah, few times. Yeah, yeah run the bird dog. And and I, I'll tell you this, um, for about the last three, I didn't do it this year for the first time in a few years, but the last day of the Minnesota pheasant season, you know, it's usually that first Monday or Sunday in, in, in January. January. Yeah. I will drive out there. I'll bring the shotgun. I'll bring the dog. I'll go out by myself, and I just drive around. Mm. <laughs> but I got a I got a tour of it um, by the area wildlife manager, Bob Fashionbauer, about a year ago. He gave me the full meal deal. And, mm. Yeah, it, it's it's a very impressive place. When you start, you know, I, uh, I wrote a blog that's on the website right now about your career, and you start trying to edit down the bullets of highlights so people will read it right <laughs> so it's not so it's not too long right and and it's hard i mean it, it, you know you think about coffee creek's been on the cover of national geographic and and the, all the amazing things the legacy amendment has done and you know it, you you start looking at that career and you feel proud of it, but it, where where I see kind of the shim the shine in your eyes when when you're sitting next to Jeff, uh, Jackson County chapter president, and all the cha- how many chapters are on the Joe Dugan monument? Joe Dugan W. I mean, it's 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 quite a few. It's like four dozen, you know, yeah. forty, fifty, and you you start talking about the the unique model the magic behind the model at Pheasants Forever in your connection to the chapter volunteers, that's really ultimately what's fueled you. You can see it plain as day when, you know, you're, you talked about this. You're, you're a little bit um, shy about like, gosh, how on earth did I get in (laughs) wildlife area? And we're teasing you about it. Um, And they even tease you the chapter volunteer because they made a sign even before the official one, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. When, when Joe Dugan would come to town, they'd put a... a, a, a there was a, a a four by eight sheet of plywood leaning up. Well, it was fastened to two round bales um, over by Petersburg, Minnesota that sat there for a number of years. <laughs> <laughs> well... Said Joe Dugan Refuge on it. <laughs> um, you know, I, speaking for the entire Rooster Road Trip crew, we're pretty honored to have started this year's hunt this year's event on a public spot that you know ultimately you helped create with the entirety of your career pretty honored and i 
although I laughed at the ashes comment, I sure as hell don't want oh, I, uh, don't want that for you anytime soon. No, me and, neither. Yeah, me neither. Um, but you're right that it's an amazingly beautiful place, yeah. and it's fitting to a tremendous career. Uh, Thank you. Without. So, so we can't end a podcast on this kind of somber note. Um, I don't think it, I don't think it's somber. I, I just think it's acknowledgement because jo- yeah. Joe's absolutely right when it comes to being a conservationist. Everyone's grabbing the baton from those who was running full steam ahead before them. Yeah, and I sure as heck hope there's another Joe Dugan out there that's ready to, to grab think, it. I think that name is Andrew Vavro and Bob St. Pierre. <laughs> oh, geez, we got a long ways to go, Joe. Oh, oh man, you gotta. You gotta, you know, it, it's, it's just. I was fortunate to work with a lot of great people, and that that all that and people that cared, you know, and that 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 want to do something. And and that the neat thing is, um, pulling together, you can accomplish a lot. It, it's, um, I have been amazed at the power of of volunteers and the power of, you know, people that are committed to getting something done. It it's. Uh, a lot more is achievable than people realize. Yeah. Well, the friendships you've created are gold too. I mean, you can see the the love and the admiration of on the faces of all these folks down here when you come to town. They, you, you don't go on skates because <laughs> you have some teasing, but uh, it's pretty darn special. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's go. You can help answer some of our Instagram questions. Sure. Kind of become a tradition for us. To answer uh, Rooster Road Trip questions uh, from Instagram at the end of each podcast. So fire away, Andrew. What do we got? Well, I'll start with one that's directed to you, Bob, just so you can have a sip of water and (laughs) get back into it. Um, Do you run Gitchy with flushers yet? I've had no issues with it, but some say never do it. Um, I am running her with flusher. I did today. And... um, I'm kind of doing that this first year, and then I'm going to um, steer clear of it as I work harder on um, Gitchy's pointing ability. Um, I, you know, Trammel, my first uh, short hair, I didn't run her with as much uh, in terms of as many flushers, and she was a more solid pointer than Eski. Eski, um, Esky breaks point anytime she feels competition. So if you got a young pointer out there, um, I think the the wise advice is to run them separate. It it'll help. It'll help the pointer. It's it's tough. It's really because my my best hunting partner has flushers, um, but I tend to go one direction and he goes the other. All right, here's another one, Joe. What piece of advice would you give to someone who wants to hunt Minnesota for the first time? So that's uh, a complicated. Upland, upland hunting. So that's a complicated question. Um, and here's why. Is if I was to say where I wanted to go or where you should go, I might get lynched <laughs> by some. Oh, we just put an X on your property. Let's <laughs> not do that again. <laughs> <laughs> But I would, there are a lot of good places to go in Minnesota. Um, just, and Minnesota is fortunate to have a lot of public wildlife areas. Um, I think, you know, southwest Minnesota, western Minnesota are, are, you know, areas where you can 
concentrate and you'll find ample opportunity. Um, you got to put on some shoe leather. I think learning to recognize the time of day to hunt certain types of cover, you know, all those things come with a little bit of time, but there's ample places to go. Okay. Now you both shoot little pea shooters, right? You're both carting around. I was shooting my 20 gauge today. Okay. Yep. So, so you can both take a crack at this. What's your favorite non-toxic 20 gauge shell? And then the follow-up, which is a different person's question, but I'm throwing it in here. In heavy winds, do you use a heavier shot, hmm. lighter, or no change, and hmm. why? Go ahead. Go, well, 20-gauge uh, non-toxic prairie storm steel number fours. That's easy. Um, I, I subscribe to the philosophy for the question number two. Um, shoot the same shells um, pretty consistently throughout the season you might want to vary your lead or different things but um if if you can um be consistent with your shot speed um the speed of the shell itself then you you eliminate one of the variables so i'd try to be consistent with what you're shooting i, I would agree I, I think the um i typically shoot a 12 gauge i was shooting a 20 today but i usually use a 12 and i think the Using the same loads um, regularly makes a big difference. And I also think, you know, um, I use those federal copper premiums, but, you know, they were a great load. And all those, you know, it's just – but consistency is a big thing because you – if you use a light load one time and a, and a, a hotter load the next time, your, pat, your, your shot string, everything changes a little bit. And if you want to get – could, you know, shooting a big thing is, is being consistent. And so uh, that's very good advice to, you know, use something that's, you know, a, a good number fours, number sixes, number fives for, you know, pheasants is, those are all good loads. Yeah, that's the excuse I use for being so bad at sporting clays, but being able to knock down birds at a pretty high rate. It's, well, it's a different, you know, feet per second or whatever. I'm not even used to shooting this low. I shouldn't be able to hit a clay pigeon. I'm totally off. There's a different focus, though, when you're shooting clays versus when you're out hunting, particularly over your own dog. Hey, when a bird gets up off of my dog's nose versus somebody else's dog, there's a completely different focus I have. And yeah, I take that even a step further compared to sporting clays. You know, you put my dog in the mix and... Like, I got to lock in. I, I just feel more determined uh, for success. Okay, I'll, I'll end it with another two-parter. There are a lot of other good questions, and people should keep them coming. I'll, uh, I'll, recru I'll recruit some more tomorrow on our Instagram page as well. Um, but the first question of this two-parter is, where the hell are the quail? And <laughs> where's the quail forever, dude? You should have invited him back. He's charming and funny. <laughs> is this, that and this is from dispatches uh, from nowhere this handle. From, this is from dispatches from nowhere. Oh, okay. Do you know who dispatches from nowhere is? That is the quail dude. <laughs> That's our quail forever editor, Chad Love. <laughs> Maybe next year we'll invite the Okie to the prairie. We'll, uh, we'll see, but uh, travel arrangements are a bit difficult. <laughs> Chad currently. is uh, soliciting ideas for a quail adventure. So you can email Chad at clove <laughs> at quailforever.org. We'll come up with a, a quail adventure in 2021 when this entire pandemic is in our rear view. Yep. 
speaking of, uh, this particular year of Rooster Road Trip is our hashtag responsible recreation trip. That's why we're staying in our backyard, Minnesota, where Pheasants Forever was born. Uh, Joe Dugan wasn't at its birth, but <laughs> shortly after. Um, take the pledge at responsible-recreation.org. And also thanks to our Rooster Road Trip partners, Apple Autos, Rufflin Kennels, Browning, supplying all the shotguns and the apparel, Garmin, makers of the brand new Alpha 200i, which uh, look look for a blog and some more photos of that tomorrow. Sound Gear, we're wearing the brand new Phantom hearing protection on the Rooster Road Trip, and Federal Premium Ammunition. Every single shot ever taken on the Rooster Road Trip has been with Federal Ammo. Um, and that shotgun that's pretty much not missing it's only missed once is that right i am four for five tell us four for five yeah, folks. i just, I just to slide that out that, that in there i'm glad you gave me that opportunity that's, that's right <laughs> tell us about that shotgun and how it could become one of our listeners brand new shotguns well if you go to roosterroadtrip.org you'll see a special membership offer in which you'll receive a a browning prism three knife just for signing up to be a, a member and that comes uh, with the normal membership benefits, the five magazines throughout the year, the decal, invitation to local events, and all that great stuff, when local events can go on more regularly. Um, but the, the big sweepstakes prize is the Browning Satori 12-gauge, 28-inch barreled shotgun that I'm using all week. That is the gun we're giving it away, and I can confirm it does shoot straight. <laughs> <laughs> or else the birds have been flying crooked, and you just got lucky. Whatever works, <laughs> I'm taking it. <laughs> uh, folks, follow along, roosterroadtrip.org. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, and, uh, and check out all the videos as well. Uh, it has been a wonderful, beautiful start to Rooster Road Trip 2020 here in southern Minnesota. We will be moving a little bit further south. Well, not much south. We're moving north. west and north. north. And west. Yep. Get my directions right. We're moving north and west tomorrow. We'll be back with a recap of day number two. Um, but till then, uh, Joe, thank you very much for hunting thank with you. us. Thank it's you. It's been a riot. Any, uh, any final words, Andrew? Always follow the dog. <laughs> <laughs> is that your closing line? That, you just to, stole my thunder. Closing line? Always follow the dog. Be more like Joe Dugan, folks. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening to Rooster a Road Trip. A recap day one of this episode of On the Wing Podcast. We will be back with you tomorrow evening. Thanks for listening.